Hello and welcome to Batmates, a show that is increasingly about Warner Brothers movies in general and not just Batman Silver Age comics. Not so much about Batman. We're going to spend 45 minutes of this episode talking about the trailer for the Batman that we saw before this movie. No, no we're not. We've already seen that trailer and we've yeah. made comments on it. Yeah, I guess. I don't know, it felt more cinematic this time around. Maybe it's because I was in a movie theater. In a movie theater? Yeah. I think there was one or two parts from that trailer that I don't remember from the first time that I saw it. Anyway, my name is Josh, and uh, I am one half of this podcast. Uh, we are a couple, we love each other very much, and we also like Batman. It is a shared interest. <laughs> and my name is Becca. <laughs> yep. Yep. So let's get into the Suicide Squad. Uh, we are releasing this episode... One week after the movies come out, you've had a little bit of time to see it. If you have not seen it, um, our spoiler-free review is, it's good. It's really good. It, it's, if you, I would say, if you like the Suicide Squad comics, then you should see this movie. If you liked the Birds of Prey movie, then you should see this movie. Mm -hmm. If you liked, I would even go as far to draw parallels to like the Deadpool movies. Yeah. If you liked the Deadpool movies, you will like this movie. Mm -hmm. If you like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and you're okay with a lot more violence, yeah. you'll like this movie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's really violent. There's a little bit of nudity. It's got James Gunn's stank all over it. Yeah, it's not like a... Super family friendly, feel good kind of movie, but it's really fun. It is, definitely, definitely. I mean, it hits the same tone that the Suicide Squad comics do, mm -hmm. which is, like I said, this is, that's like part of my spoiler free. I think every good Suicide Squad comic and story has uh, Waller being a jerk, um, lots of people dying gruesomely. Someone betraying the squad and uh, jokes and mm -hmm. all all of those elements are here in this movie. Yeah. And now we're going to talk about the movie in depth. So there's going to be spoilers. Just, you know, warning if you haven't seen the movie yet and you don't want to be spoiled, mm -hmm. then go ahead and leave and go on and buy a ticket and watch it in the movie theater. Yeah, go see it. And, uh, and pay for it. You could you could pay for it on HBO Max. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, or, you know, stick around if you don't care about spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> so overall, the word that comes to mind is refreshing. Yeah. And I think I said this to you in the theater after the credits rolled. It's refreshing to see a well-constructed, competent comic book movie from DC. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it doesn't fall apart. It doesn't get too boring. Mm -hmm. um, although I will note that, like... I think that the first act of it is a little tighter than the second act, which gets mm -hmm. bogged down by like one or two things that we can talk about, I think would, would be improved. Yeah. No, the first act is really engaging from like moment to moment to moment as it tells that story. Definitely. The time jumps. I like the time jumps. Yeah. I think it's a good way to tell the story. You get to, you know, follow sort of one storyline and some things may be happening during that storyline, they get addressed later because they do the time jumps. They're not, there's no jump cuts. You, you really yeah. get to like live in the moments, yeah. you know? 
it's it's nice to not have to like cut back and forth between like what's this group doing? What's this group doing? What's this group doing? What's this group doing? Yeah. And I like that's how James Gunn chose to tell it. Yeah, yeah. Because like, you know, the end of the movie, again, we're getting into spoilers. The end of the movie, there's that big like earthquake at the characters that are in the basement of this uh, big test facility. Prison. Yeah. Yeah. Jotunheim. And, and uh, you don't know what causes those those earthquakes. All, all the, they say is like, oh, they must have set the charges off too early. And you don't get to see until like 10 minutes it's after that mm-hmm. actual part like why the the earthquake started happening yeah and the building started falling apart yeah i want to talk a little bit about the differences between Zack snyder and james gunn okay because i feel like now that we've gotten the chance to see like Zack snyder's unadulterated vision in the in the snyder cut in is the snyder cut and i just you know WB has the same executives that they had when they were making Justice League. Is it really just a big conspiracy against Zack that they didn't let him have his vision, but that James Gunn was allowed to have his vision? Or did they just see Zack's vision and they were like, we cannot release this the way you want us to. (laughs) This is a mess of a film that's like eight hours long. So we're going to take a hacksaw to it and it's going to be worse than it could have possibly ever been. And then, yeah, you can go release your four-hour version. It's still going to be pretty, you know, in- incomprehensible. Yeah. I wouldn't even... I, I don't know. Would you describe Su- or, um, Justice League Snyder Cut as, like, a a well-constructed film? It's so weird to say because, like, it's so much better than the original cut mm-hmm. that it, it puts, like, a, a taint on, like, was it actually a good film? I feel like I would not have sat down and watched all, like, four and a half hours of that Mm -hmm. in a theater. I liked that I could watch it at home on HBO Max in, like... Chunks. Like, chunks. You know, hour and a half chunks. Yeah. It would have worked better as a television series. But even then, like, there's long swaths of that, that cut that are, like... Very exposition heavy and boring. And like, yes, it explains what's going on and it makes it so that you can follow some of the stuff that happens later a little better. But it's so hard to care about what's happening at all. Yeah. Because you don't care about the characters at all. Yeah. It's it's a lot to parse at once. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of fan service in the movie just sort of like for fan service's sake. Uh, Which is weird because in this movie... You know, they have the characters there, but you and I were talking about, like, oh, I wonder how many Easter eggs we'll see. There's not a whole lot of Easter eggs, no, honestly. not really. And and I... I, I did I did mark out, because Calendar Man shows up. Calendar Man does show up, And I was, yeah. I like, was like, oh, it's Calendar Man, it's Calendar Man! Which is also played by um, Sean, Sean Gunn. Gunn. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he plays... He did the motion capture for Weasel in this movie. He also has a little cameo as Calendar Man. He's got, like, yeah. one line where he's making fun of Polka Dot Man, which is absolutely hilarious, because... Yeah. Like, they're both D-lister Batman villains. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure, like, new rock stars will school us on this once their video comes out that's, like, you know, a thousand billion little Easter eggs from uh, (laughs) James Gunn's Suicide Squad. I'm sure... Because, like, there were little characters in Bell Rev that I was trying to be like, who who is that? Who is that? Who Who is is that? Who is it supposed to be? And the only reason that I knew Calendar Man was because he had the months tattooed across his forehead like he does in um, Long Halloween. Yeah. Which we just watched. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that's Calendar Man. Yeah. 
But I'm sure it's there's a bunch of. But Easter it wasn't as blatant as like Martian Manhunter talking to Superman's mom or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, which I still don't know why they had that scene. Like, it doesn't make any sense to even include in the narrative, which is probably why it got cut from the final. Well, he was version. talking to Lois, and it's so that she'll I don't know she go like, back to work. Goes back to the farm or something. She doesn't sell the farm to the bank. No. They. They they get the farm back because Batman bought the bank. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Okay. Okay. I don't want to think too hard about I don't, it. I don't want to think too hard Grandma's about it. Grandma's peach tea and all that. Grandma's peach tea. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Gun makes you care about characters. And I'll talk a little bit about that later. But I feel like that's the, the biggest difference. Is that James Gunn knows how to craft a narrative. And I've said it before. And I'll say it again. But Zack Snyder is really so much style over substance and James Gunn is able to beautifully blend his style into the substance mm. that is a competent film. Mm. And that's yeah, what I Honestly, go. even I maybe it's because we've been doing the squad goals and covering the characters, but like I was kind of sad to see a lot of the characters in in the um the the squad like the first squad die. Yeah, same. You know? Uh, I, uh, uh, maybe it's also because I am in love with Nathan Fillion too. I know. I knew he wasn't going to be there for very long. Well, we, we speculated about that. Like we knew that the, the, that group of characters probably wasn't going to last very long. Yeah. Although I wasn't expecting them to be gone that quickly. I figured probably. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, just kind of, you know, going off of how many episodes of SNL Pete Davidson missed, I was like, he's probably not in that movie for very long. I mean, okay, but like a character like Javelin, who's like in the previews, or Savant, who's in the previews, and opens the film. The film opens on Savant, and then he dies within like the first 10 minutes. But it's nice, because he's sort of like the POV character for that first scene. I guess so, yeah. That first scene is very uh, Saving Private Ryan, and I was telling Josh in the car that like... The thing that, like, upsets me the most in movies is when a character, like, gets, like, shell-shocked or, like, freaks out in the middle of battle. It just makes me really uncomfortable. But the thing that was good about this movie was that it created... It, it, there were sometimes those moments where you felt, like, really tense, but then there was, like... It was bookended by, like, a joke or some levity. And the thing that, like, brought me back into, like, not feeling uncomfortable was when his head gets blown open because Amanda Waller sets off his, his collar and then like as he's bleeding it forms the words Warner Brothers Pictures Presents <laughs> and I was like this is a beautiful film yeah yeah and that's what I and, and that's something I was telling Becca is like because she said it doesn't wallow in the seriousness like the first Suicide Squad film did yeah which is and the first Suicide Squad film if I remember correctly did have jokes they weren't very good jokes no they, they landed very flat yeah but, but this one has got a lot of good jokes that are sprinkled throughout the the film so that you never lay in that seriousness for too long it keeps your spirits in this like middle ground of like you know hilarity like willing to accept jokes and then also caring about the narrative and what's happening and it's not always jokes that bring the levity because it's not just constantly like you know crass or just like oh we're gonna like break this tension with like a silly joke because that's something that people don't really like about uh guardians of the galaxy where you'll have like a serious emotional moment and then it's broken up by like a joke. Mm-hmm. This I felt it broke up the 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 seriousness with jokes, with cute character moments, uh, adorable creatures. Mm-hmm. I liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, with you know somebody doing something earnest, and that sort of like breaks up the the seriousness a little bit. It makes you sort of be like, all right, mm-hmm. I'm I'm along for this ride. There's ups and downs. Yeah. Uh, I like the needle drops. Uh, I didn't. 
I, none that were like super catchy for people who are not familiar with film oh, lingo sure okay a needle drop is when a popular song plays in a movie and sometimes it's diegetic which means that the characters can hear the music too like it's playing on the radio and sometimes it's non-diegetic which mm. means that it's like you know the characters don't hear it more than once in the film the the the, the it was non-diegetic and then it became and then diegetic. became diegetic m- music like yes. it would start out as actually that's how the film opens is it opens yeah. with Johnny Cash's Folsom Prison Blues which is playing like loudly and it seems like it's just sort of movie soundtrack but then like once Savant gets pulled out of his cell you hear that it's like playing over the radio of the prison or something and it, a, yeah I only remember the one from like the little Harley scene I remember that where it turns it, into the radio it, it happens in the beginning it too? happens a lot of times yeah huh. where, especially like when they're driving in a car like there will be a music oh, and yeah. then it'll be like over the car radio at the end of the like whatever the scene is you yeah. know I you know, it's similar to Guardians where James Gunn uses music to tell you something about the characters, even if it's just like, this character would like this kind of song. And it tells you something. Yeah, no, it's definitely, nice. definitely. It, 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 and even though it's on the nose, sometimes it works. Like, yeah. like, like I said, the, it opens with Folsom Prison Blues. He's in a prison. It can't possibly be more on the nose or badly used than the songs in the first Suicide Squad. Mm. And I recently watched a video about like the music in Suicide Squad, so it's fresh in my mind, but I want to remind you that the first Suicide Squad movie opens with House of the Rising Sun, which is about a brothel in New Orleans, and it's just because, you know... Bell Rev, Bell is, Rev is in Louisiana. It's in Louisiana. And then they go up into helicopters and they play Spirit in the Sky because they're in the sky or they have Harley introduced and they and they play you don't own me or even worse two times when they have like oh uh Will Smith's character is going to do something cool they play a rap song hmm. and it's just be like this is the black character he's doing something cool play the Kanye Wild Wild West yeah no legit. <laughs> they should have played Will's own music that would have been absolutely hilarious that, that would have been something Come on, that now switch. <laughs> maybe would have happened in a James Gunn directed first Suicide no, Squad that might be too ominous but yeah I wish the songs had been a little catchier there are songs from uh, Guardians that I think about constantly that are like yeah. stuck in my head all the time but I don't know nothing in here that I'm gonna be like oh yeah what a great song but it, it fit the moment so yeah. I'm not mad about it the only song I can remember, like, off the top of my head by name was Folsom Prison Blues. Yeah. There was one about, what was it, like, Pimpin' or something? No, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was that song that Harley was humming. Yeah, was, and the, that, well, that was cool, because she was singing a little song, and then she has, like, her breakout moment, and then that song started playing. The yeah. same song that just was, like, so it's sort of like, yeah, this is what's happening in Harley's head right now. She's got this song stuck in her head, and she's... Oh, beautiful colors. Yeah, there's like a bunch of colors all over the place, which is reminded me of like the Harley Quinn. That's why I said that if you like the Birds of Prey movie, you like this movie because there's there's a, oh, a the chunk scene when she does coke by accident. <laughs> no, the scene where she's uh, in the oh, what is it called? Like she's in the interrogation room with black mask or something, and she's in like a, a dream ballet, basically. Oh yeah. Do you remember that? Vaguely, okay. I remember at that point she's she's wondering why black mask is mad at her, and one of the reasons is like because she voted for Bernie. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. 
my eyes rolled so far into the back of my head that I went blind. So yeah, there's a good like 10 minute chunk where it's just Harley Quinn doing an action scene like she does in Birds of Prey, which I thought was pretty cool. And okay, this is my only gripe that I had with it is that I think that that scene broke up the pacing, but not because it existed, but because it existed where it did in the film. Now, are you talking about the... Because it's kind of existed in two parts. You got the first part where she you know, has her like little day-long romance with the president of... Yeah, El Presidente. Porto Maltese. And then the second part where she's being interrogated by the general and then she escapes. Yeah, that part is the one I'm talking about. Okay. I, I like the first one. That that one was actually great. And honestly, I didn't think that it broke up the pacing of the movie at all, where okay. it's like solo on her with the president. Because it also, like, that ties directly into the main plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and the when they were interrogating Harley, I thought that that scene... It, like, wasn't given enough time to breathe because directly before it there was an action scene where uh, you followed, like, the rest of the squad breaking out of them getting, like, captured. And then it went into Harley is captured and she has to break out of her chains and stuff. So I was like, it's it's the same concept of a scene and it's back to back, which didn't which didn't fit, didn't match. Cut one or the other. And I would actually prefer that they cut the... Like, the the, su- the rest of the Suicide Squad getting out of their chains. Maybe. If uh, they would have just had them, you know, escape their captors in that bar scene, but somehow get split up, and then gone directly to the Harley scene. Hmm. Yeah. Well, they have to do a big chase scene on the highway, you know. I guess. Every yeah. movie needs one. <laughs> I like how they brought back Harley's sort of, like, circus silk ability. When she was getting out of those chains. I was like, I remember that from the first movie. Yeah. She, circus silks, whatever. She She's, a, an, she's acrobat. an acrobat. Yeah. They, it's, she, they're very consistent with the character, which I like. It's, yeah. I, maybe it's because Margot Robbie... Is an executive producer yeah, of everything. Had a say in this. Probably. But definitely, you know, if not it, it was her, it was James Gunn, like, staying true to the first couple of movies that she was in. Yeah. And keeping within the character. I, it, was, it was good. They, you know, very good characterization. They, they kept it the same. There was a line in there that I was the only person in the theater who laughed at when she shot the president who, was, who had proposed to her. And she was like, you know, first he's all nice to you. And then he goes and kills your dog and tells you that the music you like isn't real music. <laughs> and I laughed out loud because I thought that that was like a direct reference to Jared Leto <laughs> because he has a band and he probably thinks that your taste in music is not good. You think Jared Leto's a hipster? I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other parts of the movie you want to talk about? Yeah, I kind of wanted to uh, talk about how, I mean, we did squad goals and I don't regret it. I thought it was a great part of this podcast and I hope we have the chance to do something similar in the future. I don't know what it's going to be, but mm-hmm. I thought it was a great part of this of this podcast. I really enjoyed looking at all the histories. I was surprised that some of the characters' backstories were completely rewritten. Oh, like, yeah. in the case of Polka Dot Man and Bloodsport. Uh, and I was really surprised they didn't include things like uh, the fact that Peacemaker has a Nazi father who communicates with him through his helmet. But maybe they're saving that for the series. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Although I doubt it, honestly. I can't think of anybody's backstory that was like mentioned that is what it is in the comics. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they hint at Mongal being, uh, like, what she is in the comics, where they ask, like, is she a god or is she an alien? I know, you leaned over me and you were like, a little bit of both. Yeah, yes, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. She, I mean, she's an alien, yes, and then... She... You know whose backstory is consistent? Starro. It's a little bit taken from, what was that, the Batman Beyond episode? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, where he, like, takes over the Justice he, League. He was he was kidnapped and put in, a, in an alien zoo, mm-hmm. and that's where he became Superman's pet. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was part of the alien zoo that was in a Superman the Animated Series. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so cool. I absolutely love that. But then Superman was like, well, I can't just release them, so I guess I'll have a zoo. (laughs) Yeah, I'll have a zoo in the Fortress of Solitude. (laughs) Yeah. But I'll be nice to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a little bit like that. Um, That's the the only backstory that was kind of similar. But uh, I liked, I guess we can talk about the story, uh, since we're talking about Starro. Mm -hmm. I loved Starro. And I loved Starro before this movie, and they, I feel like they really did him justice. Yeah. Um, I thought the story was super well constructed. I thought, overall, the movie was lovely, had some exciting twists. It wasn't super straightforward. There was even a little bit of, like, internal conflict between Peacemaker and uh, Rick, Rick Flag about, yeah. like, what's the right thing to do for your country. Like I said, that that's co- that sort of stuff happens in the comics a lot, where there's inter- internal conflict with, like, you know, following Waller's direct orders and Waller kind of lying to the squad about what the real purpose of their mission oh, is. Oh, she's always lying to the squad about the real purpose of their mission. Everything is on a need-to-know basis, and the squad apparently doesn't need to know anything. Yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, that's why, that's why she chooses convicts and then is like, and if you disobey me, I'm going to blow your head off. Yeah. You know, this isn't stuff that the Justice League would be happy doing. (laughs) And she knows she can't control the Justice League. Yeah. Uh, I thought the Sorrow's last line was extremely poetic, where he says, I was happy floating, staring at the stars. I was like, that's lovely. I guess. Poor Starro. Starro is... is uh, I, I like I guess morally gray in this movie. Absolutely, it's the antagonist. He was he was kidnapped. He mm-hmm. didn't ask for any of this. Yeah, but then he attacked his like the people who brought him in. I don't know if there was any way. For... 30, 30 years of pent up anger. <laughs> he was ready to. I don't think him. no no in in they show you in like the old astronaut film that he immediately attacks the well yeah he's been kidnapped he was happy floating staring at the stars let him out let him go uh, I, love I think you have too much empathy for this character uh, i like starro and though there was no jaro but maybe, no maybe someday he died yeah i guess yeah got eaten from inside from out. the inside by rats beautiful Ugh. It was pretty gross. Yeah. The, the whole movie, pretty gross. Yeah. Let's talk about a little bit about performances. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about John. John Cena? Good old John. Yeah. He was okay. He's a really great talker. And that's how he's been relevant in WWE for so long, is that, you know... He, You never want to discount how good John Cena can be on the mic, especially in a live setting, especially when the cameras are rolling. Yeah, he's good at cutting promos. He's super good at cutting promos. And yeah, once you start to discount him, then he'll like give like this like greatest of his career promo that makes you be like, that's why he's a star. (laughs) And he'll do, you know, different stuff. He'll 
have different insults. He doesn't just say the same, like, ten things every time, like The Rock. I mean, <laughs> the Rock's a great talker, too, but he does rely a little too much on his catchphrases, especially these days. Uh, but I just wish he'd maybe done something a little different with his character. Uh, it just, he just sort of felt like John, you know, talking smack in the middle of the ring to Roman Reigns every time he and Bloodsport were, like, going toe-to-toe. I was like, this is just the stuff he does in WWE. I'm not feeling, like, anything, like, different. He isn't great at the emotion part of acting. Like, I never really felt like he was legitimately angry or legitimately upset. Legitimately like, I will do whatever it takes for there to be peace in the world. Yeah, it sounds more like he's doing a part. Yeah. Which is okay in WWE because it's campy and the audience knows that they're playing parts so they can sort of play into that. But in a movie, you really need to embody that character you can't just be a caricature of yeah. that character it's almost like i wanted characters turn to be like this guy for real yeah he really talks like this yeah 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 didn't feel right or at, at, you know at some point break through it and act more human or something to to show like oh it is an act that he puts on yeah you know we just saw him also in uh fast and furious nine mm-hmm. and i was a little drunk So, what are your thoughts on his performance in that? Did you see any emotion? Because I was kind of tapped out by the end of the movie. No, no, it's the same deal where he does a lot of, you know, talking smack and he plays the, like, straight face. The the character who played the younger version of him was a better actor than he is. Yeah. You know, sorry to say, but it's really true. (laughs) Yeah. I would love to see John in some different stuff, but, you know, he's got... The body and the face that he has. We're going to see him in the Peacemaker series. Maybe that'll have some nuance to it. We don't know. Yeah, one can hope. I mean, The Rock falls into it, too, where The Rock is... The Rock is a better actor than John Cena, but he's still... He he fits into a stereotype and kind of must play to that stereotype. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, The Rock's got, like, two modes. He's got, like, funny action family comedy movie The Rock. Uh-huh. And he's got, like, Fast and Furious Rock. Like, serious action movie Rock. Mm, even then, I would say he's, like, still funny family friendly. Is he? Yeah. As Hobbs? Yeah. I don't feel like he's super funny. He's got... Hobbs. His whole, like, deal is that he's got, like, a daughter that he loves and he's he, like, makes quips and stuff. I've never, I, I've never seen the Scorpion King. Is he more serious in that? I have not either. Okay, <laughs> he's good at Moana. He is, but again, that's funny, family friendly. I, like I said, I, I don't think he's got a whole lot of range as an actor. No, not really. That's all right. Uh, Daniela Melchior is a star, mm-hmm. and this is her very first English language film as uh, Ratcatcher Two. Really, she's a Brazilian actress. She. Did the Portuguese dub of Spider-Gwen and Into the Spider-Verse. But other than that, she's only been in Brazilian movies. And this was her first English language film. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. But she's great. I really liked her performance. Yeah. Yeah. I knew she was going to live the whole time. <laughs> I knew she was going to be the star at the end. The one that saves the world. Yeah. I, she made me want to buy a rat. <laughs> but then Josh... <laughs> made me look up how long they live and it's only two to three years so i didn't make you look it up i told you i said they live like two years and you were like that can't be true and i was like yes it is rats only live like two or three years josh knows rat facts i do i'm a rat connoisseur do you have any thoughts on rat catcher too (laughs) 
Uh, I liked her. Yeah. I wish there would have been more interaction between her and King Shark. They sort of set up this like, oh, she's going to be King Color, sorry, King Shark's friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they have a couple of interactions and there's not like um, a whole lot more. Yeah. I wish there would have been more of that interaction at the end. Well, everyone's King Shark's friend. That's true. That's why he doesn't eat them. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Idris Elba was great. But he, he always puts his heart into everything that he does. He doesn't half-ass anything. No. He was even chewing the scenery in Cats and having <laughs> a great time. I watched Hobbs and Shaw, which mm-hmm. is the like Fast and Furious spin-off movie that has Idris Elba. Oh, yeah, as, like, he plays like Superman. The, the main villain, yeah, his, his, whole, his whole line in the trailer is, I'm black Superman. And he's very much a similar role in does this. Does not know how to do an accent? I don't think so, honestly. Can he not do an American accent? He's always British, no matter what. He's always... I think even like his daughter in this movie wasn't British, but he was. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, does it? I guess because she was raised by her mother and she never picked up her dad's like mannerisms. Yeah. The only thing that was similar about Bloodsport's backstory was that he hit Superman with a kryptonite bullet. Yeah, they they mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Which okay, we talked about this sort of when he was introduced. This part was pretty clearly written for Deadshot. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he was supposed to come back. I think this. maybe in a first draft of the script, it was Deadshot, and he was supposed to come back, and that's why there's the story with the daughter that he loves. Although in this movie, it's sort of like he just doesn't want his daughter to end up in prison. It's mm-hmm. not that he really likes her because he does. He didn't want to be her father anyway. Uh, I think though, as the movie went on, and I this is why I'm guessing like maybe it was in the first draft of the script, and then they changed it is because he gets to live more in like a blood sport. He he differentiates himself from from Deadshot, yeah. but the introduction of him is very much like they wanted Deadshot to be in this part. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they just changed around stuff in subsequent drafts after they knew that they weren't going to get Will Smith back. Yeah, I like the freedom they had though with. That, you know, Deadshot's thing is that he can shoot perfectly with, like, any gun. Mm-hmm. And I like the thing that they sort of added with Bloodsport, that he sort of pulls these, like, parts of his weapons out of hammer space and, like, constructs them in real time. Yeah. And then he's like, and suddenly I have a really big gun. Yeah, he's go. got, like, he's got, like, weird nanomachine guns that, like, come together to become bigger guns when you put them together. Yeah. He pulls, like, a thing that turns into a sword off of his costume. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, really comic booky like, uh... They don't ever explain it. It's just sort of like a cool action-y thing. Yeah, it's very inventive. They don't They don't super explain Polka Dot Man's whole deal. No. <laughs> I'm looking at um, Idris Elba's filmography, too, and I think most of these were British productions earlier in his career. I know 28 Weeks Later takes place in the UK. Thor, Heimdall, that's a British accent. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Pacific Rim, but I would guess it's, a, it's an accent. He played Nelson Mandela. And that one he would have had to have a South South African. Which is not that far off from a British it is accent, if, though. It is if you're black. Uh, a I, South African black person's accent is different than a South African white person's accent uh, a lot. Okay. It absolutely is. You've heard Nelson Mandela talk. Have I? Probably. He doesn't he doesn't have like what you would think of as like a like a Dutch okay. like South African accent. Okay. 
uh, you know, what do they call them? I don't remember. <laughs> Age of Ultron, that's still Heimdall. Jungle Book, he plays Shere Khan. Did you see the live action Jungle Book? No. Hmm. I don't know if he has an accent in that. But then I did find one that I know he doesn't have, uh, Molly's Game, which is a movie that we recently saw. He plays her, like, New York lawyer. Oh, he, yeah. He has an American accent in that. That's true. So, Although he only has a total of, like, 20 lines. No, he's got a pretty big part in that. Does he? Yeah. I he, thought he only shows up at the end. No, he helps her out. Oh, that's true. No, no, you're right, you're right, yeah. you're right. I'm forgetting, like, the interstitials that they do. Yeah. That's a good movie. Go watch Molly's Game. Aaron Sorkin directed it and wrote it. And you can tell. Yeah. He puts in his jokes. I love him. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, Idris Elba's great. Who else we got? David Desmalkian? Do you want to yes. talk about him last? <laughs> no, that was next on my list. I will sadly never get my Polka Dot Man standalone film. <laughs> but he was really great. And even the repetitive joke about him like seeing his mother everywhere didn't ruin the film for me. Yeah, it would in a in a weaker film, like a weaker overall film, it wouldn't have worked. I yeah, think it would have. It would. They would have done some silly thing where he's like, oh, he like tries to like have sex with a prostitute at that bar, but then she would turn into his mother. Yeah, I mean they did do. And then he would kill her. He's like dancing in in the club, and they're yeah. like everyone looks like his mother. But you can see he's like still like trying to have fun. Like, <laughs> he's like, this is fine. It was sad. Oh, we kept whispering to each other, Waller would never let that happen throughout the movie. Even though uh, Viola Davis is always fantastic and she does a really good job as Amanda Waller. She does, yes, yes. She nails it again. I like that they gave her more to do in this movie than like sit and like wait to be rescued (laughs) and like talk to people through iPads than they did in the first movie. Yeah, no, no, no. She she plays a more active role, and she she comes off as a lot more cold in yeah. this, like, a, a lot more calculating. We also kept, like, coming up with, like, Amanda Waller plot details that weren't given to us. <laughs> like, the fact that Bloodsport's daughter was, like, arrested for stealing a watch, and then, like, if Bloodsport didn't help out Waller, she was going to go to jail and possibly go to Bell Rev and get murdered. And I was like, I bet Waller set her up. Waller planted the watch on her. Waller paid one of her friends to convince her to buy, to steal the watch. <laughs> Waller had something to do with this. She, yeah. she wouldn't have left anything to chance if she wanted Bloodsport on the team. She was going to make it happen one way or another. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. What, so, a, what a weird thing. Yeah. And also, you know, later at the end when Waller's taken out by, like, her own team, I'm like, Waller would never put these people around her. If That's she didn't, true. If she didn't absolutely understand their exact loyalty. If she didn't have a gunman trained on their family, <laughs> they would not be here helping her out. Well, that's why I said, I was like, maybe they got assigned to her because, like, they're a government task force, so they got put together by some politician or something. Yeah. I don't know. They were re- weirdly, like, comic relief, which was like, eh, not that bad. It did sort of, like, break up the tone of the film a little bit. I don't think so. The only the only one that I had problems with was the guy with the beard. Steve G. Yeah. He he his like comments were a little too much. Like he was like, There's a kaiju and then I don't know, there's like a couple other lines that he had where I was like, Okay, that's like a little too far. Yeah. I did like the fact that all of her people around her were like she wouldn't really do that, right? Like, she wouldn't kill a kid. And it's like, and she... You don't know, Waller. Yeah, you don't know what I do. <laughs> yeah. I like that part when she's putting and she's, like, practicing her golf putt. Yeah, she's like, I got a meeting with the senator later. And she's like, oh, man, I can't look bad in front of the senator. <laughs> uh, okay, here's the thing that kills me the most. 
They made me care about Rick Flag, and mm. I said I was gonna go back to James Gunn's ability to make you care about characters. I cared about Rick Flag, and I can't believe I cared about Rick Flag in this film. And even during his death scene, I kept trying to remind myself of his worst lines from the first movie, like where he's like, "This is Katana. She's got my back. I hope." You won't get murdered by her that sword of hers because it traps the souls of his victims. And I was like, that's Rick Flagg. Don't mourn his death. And I was like, no, damn it. They got me. He was so likable in this. And I like his little rabbit shirt. They, like, kept it out of frame the whole time. And in my mind, I my brain kept, like, completing it to look like Big Chungus. So in my <laughs> mind, he was wearing a Big Chungus shirt the whole movie. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh it was, I don't quite understand why he met up with the resistance leader. Did the resistance leader find him? Yeah, she finds him in the jungle. Okay. That's okay. who, like, he's surrounded by. Got it. Okay. That was a really funny scene. That was a really funny scene. Yeah, where they, like, go and infiltrate the camp, and at the end it's like, oh, no, these were all... These, these were, yeah, these, these were, were the, all the resistance fighters. The resistance, these were good guys. These were the good guys that we accidentally all killed. Oops. <laughs> That was a really beautifully directed scene. It kind of takes you a minute to realize, like, with all the, like, people in the background who they just keep, like, killing and killing. They're doing each one, like, absolutely silently. So they are raising zero alarms as they just mow down, like, 20 people. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, my God, these were all silent kills. Jesus Christ. I do. And I also like, you know, they're like, what, what, what soldiers? What? I don't, I don't remember seeing anybody outside. And then this polka dot man goes... I imagine they look like my mother, and then I killed them. <laughs> oh well. Uh, can we talk a little bit more about Polka Dot Man's like backstory? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so you built Polka Dot Man up before we saw this. I don't know. I think you said that your coworker said that he plays like a big part or something. I mean, I think that that was something that was pretty evident from the trailers was that he was going to play a big role in it. Okay, he was not as good as you built him up to be, I'm going to be honest. What, the actor or the character? The character, like just the his arc. You were like, oh, I heard he's got like a really good arc in this film. I didn't feel like he had much of an arc. Like, there's a little bit of character development in the end where he's like, I'm a superhero, but, but that wasn't a whole lot of character development. He's kind of like suicidal and depressed for the first half of the movie and then kind of warms up at the end. There's not a whole lot of growth there. I thought, okay, it's not much of a, like an arc in terms of like a change, but I saw it more as like sort of this little quiet story that's just happening entirely in this man's head where he goes from being like a PTSD victim who's like just doing this to like get time off of his sentence and like get through his like obviously painful life and you know the whole thing with the being like i'm a superhero is like the reason he's like in so much pain and like has so much bad things about him was that his mom was trying to forcibly turn him into a superhero and then he's like oh shoot i actually am great and you know that's why we could have had a polka dot polka dot man standalone film Every, everything about his character was weird i just i love that the whole like the boils that turn into polka dots was weird. It was creative. It was creative. I'll give him that. And, and I like the way his costume worked. And they they didn't feel the need to like explain it. You know that if this had been the first Suicide Squad movie, there would have been like a really weird like montage where they showed his mom like experimenting on him, and then they would have shown like how his suit was built and how like when he's wearing the suit, the polka dots like build up inside of his little arms and he can release them at will, like mm -hmm. spiders webs. 
But no, they didn't need to explain that. They just sort of like, let him go and your brain can fill in the rest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he doesn't explain himself much in the original Silver Age comic that we covered either. No, not at all. He just uses the power of polka dots. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, his, his backstory differed, like, a really a lot from his comic appearances. It reminded me of The Eraser, where there was that storyline in, like, the New 52, or Rebirth, whatever it was, where they took, like, a weird Silver Age character, and instead of just being, like, a mobster with a gimmick, they made it, he's, he's a metahuman, and he has, like, powers that are related to his gimmick. Yeah. But... It's it's a sort of a one note thing, and they they don't keep the character around. Yeah, I wish they would though. Nah. Yeah, you want to talk about Harley? It's self-explanatory. This is her third. Yeah, movie, this movie is... in a consistently pretty good performance. Yeah, I mean, I, I touched earlier. You know, she's she's the same character. Yeah. They they have not changed much. She's I like the little mini Harley movie that was in there. So it's like a little Birds of Prey too. <laughs> Yeah. Birds of Prey because, part two. Because we may not get a, a second Birds of Prey movie no. because it did not do well critically. No, which really won't. sucks because like it was released right before the pandemic. So it got like, it wasn't able to stay in theaters as long as it maybe should have. And they also didn't run like a big marketing campaign behind it. So like nobody knew that it was out when yeah. it actually came out. Yeah. I don't know. It was The only reason that I knew it was coming out was because when we went to see Cats, in January, they had posters for it because it was coming out like a month after that. And we didn't see it for like six months. Yeah. We didn't we, see it until we got HBO Max. It was like in the middle of the pandemic when we got HBO. Yeah. Maybe they'll tie it into the new Batgirl movie that's coming out. Maybe. Maybe. That would be interesting. Good. What's the new like DC model going to be going forward? Are they just going to release all these little like mini... Are they going to be full-length movies that they're releasing on HBO Max? I don't know. Like, some of them are guaranteed to not get a theatrical release. So I don't know what is going to happen. Because, like we talked about in our last episode, DC likes to keep their TV and movies, like, separate. They don't like to have the same character on screen and on TV. Unless, I guess it's Superman, because he was allowed to be on TV and on screen. Yeah. At the same time. Wait, was he, though? Because... No, that Superman and Lois movie, or TV show came out. Came out, like, after the Justice League movie? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, they're weird about that. They they don't like to have their characters be portrayed multiple ways at once. Yeah. Maybe they'll loosen up about that when the Flash movie comes out? I don't know. I think the Flash movie is going to be telling as to, like, what their sort of idea of how things are going to look moving forward. Yeah. Do we have any idea on, like, a release date? For that movie it feels like it's been filming for like a hundred years <laughs> uh no i think it's tentatively next year like it was supposed to come out next year okay it might be it's probably gonna be pushed back yeah it might be next year it might be pushed back to 23 mm. because the batman got pushed back um yeah i don't know oh final thoughts on suicide squad good movie good like movie. i said it's a it's a solid suicide squad story it, it, it hits the notes that a Suicide Squad movie should. It is, you know, good at doing its own thing, but also staying true to the comics in certain ways. 
Uh, it's a, a good movie directed by James Gunn. Mm-hmm. Oh, I uh, I guess, uh, can we talk about Taika Waititi? Oh, yeah. Taika Waititi's in this film. Yeah. Josh was like, look up why he was in it. And it really, honestly, it's because James Gunn called him and was like, do you want to be in this movie? <laughs> and they, they've kept it under wraps who he was initially supposed to play. Because apparently, initially, James Gunn, asked him to play a bigger role as like one of the members of the squad that's like killed in that first scene. Mm. But then um, Taika Waititi was going to be filming Akira, um, which I guess fell through. And so he called James Gunn back and he was like, oh, my movie fell apart. Is that part in Suicide Squad still available? And by that point, they'd filled the role. And he was like, oh, no, it's not. But I could give you this littler role and you could play Ratcatcher 1. Hmm. So, and James Gunn was like, I'm not going to say who it is because I don't want the actor who like won that role to like feel bad that he wasn't the first choice. Oh. Yeah. Wait, so they had somebody else cast as Ratcatcher 1 is what you're telling me? No, no, no. He didn't, he didn't reveal who... Taika Waititi was initially supposed to play oh. because he didn't want the actor who was in that role to feel bad that like, okay. Taika Waititi was supposed to play okay. that character first. If I if I had to guess, I would yeah, say speculate. Uh, Blackguard, I think. I think D- Pete Davidson, Pete Davidson's character. Mm, I don't know. You think you think you got who do you think he would have been? Savant? No, I don't think Savant, and I don't think Javelin. Hmm. Could have been Javelin. Could have been. Not Weasel, because that was just Sean Gunn. Mm, yeah, that was just Sean Gunn. The Detachable Kid? The Detachment Kid, possibly. Maybe? Possibly. Maybe. Mongal. No. no, not Mongal. No. It was either the Detachable Kid or Blackguard, I think. Yeah. I think that between those two. And who, do you know who was cast first or later? Because I guess that's another thing that would tip us off. Like, no. who was announced first. I don't know. My guess is Blackguard, but it could just as well have been Javelin. Yeah. I think I, I liked it. could him. have been Savant, to be honest. Yeah? Uh, that's such a big role, though. I feel like he wouldn't have given that to Taika Waititi. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, he's the POV character for, like, the first ten minutes of the movie. I guess so, yeah. I really like Taika Waititi as Ratcatcher 1. I think he did yeah. a good job. He, yeah. He... For some reason, he's able to hit sincere really well. Like, he only had a couple of lines, but yeah. he was able to really bring forth the part of, like, oh, this is a guy who really cared for his daughter, like, yeah. in just those couple of lines, you know? Yeah, it's beautiful. The way he I mean, del- he- Taika Waititi is the man who made Hitler, like, a fun, like, imaginary friend. Yeah. <laughs> so he can do anything. Yeah. The, the whole line that he delivers about, you know, rats are the... Are, Rats are the most despised creatures. The lowliest creatures on earth, yeah. but they serve a purpose. They serve a purpose, just like you and I. Oh, it's beautiful. This movie is so poetic. Yeah, there was a couple of poetic parts. It made me feel... I'm gonna go cry about Starro for a hundred years. <laughs> Very upset. Did you want to talk about Jaro? No, just that he's not in it. There's no Jaro. No Jaro. Unfortunately. Oh, and they did not use uh, fertilizer to defeat Starro. Calcium, which was a... whatever, whatever, yeah. whatever. <laughs> So big, big boo on that part. Yeah, they didn't use Green Lantern to like move him. <laughs> it's a very strange comic book. Yeah, but no, they yeah, they just attacked him. The, I thought the way that they took down Starro was great, and I liked that all of them had a little part to play. Except really, uh, King Shark didn't do too much. He didn't do a lot of damage. <laughs> but whatever. He was there. He was there. 
Same with, uh, well, it's interesting because by the end of it, it really seemed like Bloodsport was really just meant to sort of be there for like to boost their morale. Yeah, he was and be like, you can do it. Well, that was the whole thing is he was being built up as a leader. He's the leader. Okay, all well, right. that's uh, all I have to say about the Suicide Squad movie. Yeah, go see Suicide Squad. It's good. It's better than Justice League. Definitely. I hope this will be the tone and the direction that DC takes from now on. Nope. Uh, I mean, Marvel sort of does its own thing where like every movie has its own kind of tone. Mm, they all have a very <laughs> similar tone. They those The Marvel scripts get like fine tooth combed over by Disney execs to be the most marketable. Yeah. And it makes them, I mean, it makes almost every single one of them solid films, but there's not too many of the Marvel films that ever reach like amazing status Mm -hmm. because they're, they're sort of focus group tested. So, so as much as they are, you know? Yeah. Well, that's been Batmates. You can feel free to email us at batmatespodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Batmates. And we will see you next week, uh, probably with a comic this time. Yeah, hopefully we'll get back to a return to form. Exactly. All right, goodbye. Bye-bye.